Just ask the barber for the regular. All right, let's go ahead and pray. I know it's a bad joke to open up. Let's pray, and uh, we'll get started diving into the Word. Father, we we thank you that you have opened our eyes to the gospel and allowed us to come uh, to this place and gather with other believers. We are thankful. Uh, we are so thankful for those believers who have gone before us who gave their lives for your word, uh, for the opportunity to translate scripture into English and people willing to die for that, people willing to die for the doctrines and the five solas. We don't, we don't understand that, but yet we rejoice because of these men, these thinkers who were able to articulate uh, doctrine for us to understand, who were able to uh, preach and teach and we still have that and can read it and and learn from it and grow from it as we use it in our lives so we are grateful for them and our church is here because of that and uh, obviously because of your sovereign hand over your body as it grows Uh, but help us to remember to be grateful for those saints who have gone before that you uh, give as an illustration of you're working in their lives. God, we just pray that you would speak to us today, uh, that through your word, <clears throat> we would we would not just hear nouns and verbs uh, put together um, illustrations, but that the spirit would take these syllables and words and formulate them and mold them into our heart so that when we come out, we are not what we were when we came in. So, Spirit, I pray that you would speak and do a work in me. Use these words and do the work in your people. We know that your word will not go forth void, so we look forward to seeing what you will do. We have great faith in what you will do here today. We ask these things because of Christ who came and broke down the wall of partition that we might come to you boldly, the God of the universe. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What is a judge? Think of a judge. Probably the first thing we think of is a guy sitting in a high seat above the rest of the courtroom, dressed in black, a wooden gavel, a judge. He's a professional. He went to school to be a lawyer probably. He's been elevated to this position we might also think of a judge as being a volunteer, maybe a state fair or 4-H competitions, and you get to judge a pie contest. I think that would be something I would love to participate in. Uh, or select the prize pig. Uh, maybe I don't have expertise in that. Or a parent could be a judge. Two kids are arguing, and they have to then uh, discern the data and punish most likely both of them. So parents are often judges. Your boss acts as a judge to you. A judge is just one who is making a decision or a judgment based upon the data. Seems harmless, right? I mean, it seems like actually something we, we would sometimes aspire to be. Some of us, when we were children, wanted to be judges, wanted to be parents, because that would mean we could put our brother and sister in prison. So that was something we looked forward to. So a judge is often someone who is looked to as uh, a good citizen, someone who is serving the community by putting bad people away. Parents are just, and so the, the right thing happens, and the, the child who did wrong is punished. Unless there is a corrupt judge. If you have a corrupt judge, you're no longer dealing with someone who is deciding based upon merely looking at the data and trying to figure out what is the best decision for whatever I am supposed to act on. If you have a corrupt judge, that person can be acting on the basis of maybe a bribe that they were given to decide in one way or another. They could also be deciding based upon their own envy or greed, maybe how the, this decision might best serve me and my family. 
so I won't raise taxes for people who make over 250000 just Just a scenario. With that said, we saw last week and the week before in chapter 4, as Chad preached, that we are the unjust judge. Let's go to James chapter 4. We are an unjust judge because as chapter 4 and verse, the end of verse 1, we have passions that are at war within us. We desire, we covet, we don't have because we don't ask. We ask, we don't get it because we want to spend it wrongfully. We're adulterous people. We are people who are looking at data and we are deciding based upon how it's best going to benefit me. We are unjust judges. But God, it says in verse number five, six, he gives more grace. That was the shocking part. Chad brought that out last week. Even though we are this way and we are going as adulterous people towards the world and worldliness, God gives more grace. He passionately pursues us. He's jealous over us and he desires repentance for his people. So that we are no longer unjust judges, but we are people who are able to judge rightly. People who see the situation that they're in, see life circumstances, people saying things or doing things. They see envious opportunities and passions, but they look at it in light of a biblical perspective and they are a just judge. They aren't ruled by their passions or their envies. Envies. That's a word. It fits well here that James is writing this section to be one complete whole. Often the commentators are saying these two verses are completely separate from the two sections that Chad preached on. So it says that, you know, Chad preached and then, boom, James just dropped these two verses in. They have no connection with what we saw before. I'll propose that I think these verses actually flow quite naturally from what we just learned. So as I'm trying to say... We have these passions that are at war with us. We have envy and strife and quarreling because of these passions. We're adulterers. We're we're friends of the world. And yet God gives grace and he desires repentance. And sometimes when we actually go through and we repent, we have this moment of, James writes, it's great emotion. Be wretched and mourn and weep. And we have this moment of repentance where there's great grief over my sin. And uh, I am humble before God and I'm submitting to him. I'm desiring to cleanse my heart and my hands. Similar to this is coming a lot from Psalm 51 as David is repentant there before Nathan the prophet. And so we do that. And then we come back home or we come back down from that cloud nine experience of repentance and and that's good. But we come back down and we don't realize that our lives, as Luther would say, is meant to be one of continual repentance. So we come down from a repentance experience and we look at our spouse or we look at other believers in the body who have not experienced what I have. And we judge and we say, He hasn't done what I did. How can he be a teacher and I'm not? Or they haven't, you know, they haven't weeped and wailed over their sin like I did. And we judge people. And so I think that this fits really well as one complete whole where Paul, James, we've been James for 16 weeks now, where James is saying there are quarrels among the body. And here's how we need to deal with it. We, as we've been talking, as I've been talking, we see that judging integrally affects our relationships. Judging affects our relationships. There are three relationships that James will point out in these two verses that he will say, if we judge, these three relationships will be affected. And affected is a kind word, I think. I didn't want to put the word ruined. Uh, because by God's grace, it's, it won't be ruined. Let's go ahead and read our text for today. James four eleven and 12. 
do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James comes out right away with one short sentence that gives us our first relationship that judging affects one another. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Is James here referring to believers or unbelievers or both when he tells us to not judge? Well, he's writing to brothers. Have you, have you noticed that in the past couple messages, he has, he has stayed away from the word brothers when he's been writing? I don't know if you noticed that. The last time I think we saw it was in chapter 3, um, 3.10. And then we go for almost a whole chapter with no brothers. And it was very, very direct, very poignant. Uh, adulteresses. That's not exactly as kind and warm as we want as brothers. James is coming back and he's, he's exhorting them as brothers. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. So if he's writing to Christians, he says, brothers, don't speak evil against one another. It seems obvious that he's telling us to not speak evil against other believers, right? You are brothers. Don't speak evil against your other brothers. And he, he continues that way later in the verse. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. And, and so it seems like he's talking about Christians here, talking to believers, because he's using the word brothers. However, at the end of verse 12, he changes his terminology and he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Neighbor is often seen in scripture as being applicable to anyone. Uh, in my mind, my, I think automatically of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a lawyer comes to Christ and says, um, you know, ask the question, who is my neighbor? And Christ proceeds to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, where you have a Samaritan who helps a Jew who's been beaten and left on the side of the road dead. And he helps him as an answer to who is my neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone. So I think that the application here for us is we begin to think about judging and speaking evil of other people. So we begin to think about this. The application is for everyone. Don't speak evil of anyone. But in this context, since he's writing about believers who are quarreling in the body, and then as he even concentrates more in these two verses and talking to brothers, I think the application is for everyone. Don't judge anyone. It's more pertinent here for the body. So there's greater application for us as believers, and we'll see why I think that the... The main weight here needs to be put on believers. And so we'll continue in that realm and saying since uh, we are a body, a gathered group of professing believers, um, we will continue in this vein regarding brothers speaking in that way. So he says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. And then he continues in the verse and he switches his terminology again. He likes doing this to judging the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. And in the rest of the verse and a half, he talks about judging. So what's he saying? Is he wanting us to not speak evil or not to judge? Is that really two questions? I mean, I kind of see it as if I'm talking evil of someone, in some way I am judging them to be less of a person than I so that I feel vindicated or able to put them down to somebody else. And if I'm judging someone, I think it's clear to everyone else that we are speaking evil of that person. So I think the words are one and the same. Although for application, I do think that there might be other ways you can tease out how we speak evil of one another, um, maybe in a way that is not judging. And so he kind of covers the gamut by changing his words here. Because the word judge usually is neutral, 
Uh, speaking evil obviously has a negative connotation. So put together, um, we get the idea that he's not talking about just judge the data and give us a decision. He's talking about don't judge wrongfully someone's motives or um, don't speak evil, i.e. judge your brother. This idea of judging for James is not new in the text. Let's go uh, back to James one nineteen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. The word judging is not in there. But if I am judging my brother, I am not being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse one twenty, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-six. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Proverbs shows judging to be an unbridled tongue. One who is a fool speaks before he has a full answer or before he has all of the data. So one who not, does not bridle his tongue uh, is char- that that would be one who is characterized by judging. Also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the sin of partiality or showing favoritism. And actually there in verse 4, the word for distinctions, when you make distinctions among yourselves, is the same word as judging, just translated as distinctions. So you are looking at someone who walks into a a church meeting time, and you're seeing they're wearing really nice clothes. And so based upon an outward appearance... I'm going to sit next to that person. I'm going to get to know them because I want them attending so that they can somehow benefit me. And if there's someone in poor clothing, you know, the person who is showing favoritism is going to do the exact opposite. So we are judging their character, not on a biblical realm, but based upon merely external appearances. Chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in our relationships with one another, when we judge them, we are not being merciful. We have received mercy and we are not acting in that vein. This concept of judging, I think, is continually comes up in the book. Uh, also in uh, verses, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We won't read the whole section, but there he's talking about, do not be false to the truth. Do not boast selfish ambition in your heart. But the wisdom from above is exactly the opposite, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. The word there is similar root form to the word judging. So he's saying that uh, what I'm gathering is this is not a new concept. This idea of judging is seen all throughout James. And he is wanting us to look at one another in a way that is truthful, in a way that is full of mercy, and not speaking evil against one another. We know what it feels like for someone to speak evil of us or to malign our character. Oftentimes it's done behind our back or uh, without us knowing, and we find out later maybe, and we know what that feels like, and we know the damage that is done to relationships. And so as James is writing to these believers and saying, you want to know what causes quarrels among you? It's because you are envious and you desire things that you can't have. And so you fight and you quarrel. And you don't ask from God, but the things you do ask for, you ask for only because of selfish reasons. So what my suggestion to you is repent. Come back to God, desire Him, flee from the devil, uh, resist the devil and He will flee. Purify your hearts, humble yourselves before the Lord. Oh, and don't judge or speak evil of your brother. And I think that flows directly from it. And we are having these quarrels. Part of it is because we are judging our brothers. Let me give three ways that I think in a church can be really damaging and maybe are very popular. Popular is a bad terminology, but maybe happen quite a bit in the body. In regards to judging, 
First would be child rearing. Often when you have a newborn baby, you get lots of tips. You get lots of books about how to raise a child. And people will say, uh, not to your face, maybe, maybe they will, but uh, they'll give advice in the form of, oh, you think he should be uh, eating that? Or don't you think it's not, how old is that child? It might not be wise for them to be playing with a, a big pen, sticking it in their, you know, and, and so they give this, and that's fine. I mean, that's helpful to warn us. Uh, but it might be more damaging to relationships, especially when believers are saying uh, to one another without the mom or the father present, uh, did you see this? Did you notice how much she picks up her child? Every time the child whines, she picks it up. Do you know that that child sleeps 20 hours a day? That child sleeps only four hours a day. That child eats too much, eats too little. I think I could do a better job if I was the parent. And so child rearing is very popular because there's adults here and we're having children and children are coming into churches uh, and this one a lot, it seems. And so there's opportunity for people to say, I did it this way. And therefore, what have you done? You have become the judge and you have said, here's the data. My data is correct. I did it correct. I now judge and tell you you are wrong. But usually do it behind your back. And I usually don't let you know it. So child rearing. It could be damaging for people. Um, second would be money. How we spend our money. you ever notice people can, I can, let my mind wander uh, down a path. And I wonder, after about five minutes, how did we get here? Um, so we think, that guy works at such and such. I wonder how much he makes. Both those questions are not wrong. I don't think those questions are intrinsically sinful. Just wondering how much a fellow believer makes and where he works. Um, Often that data can be gathered from asking the person, though, instead of surmising. And then you go on down further down the road and, what did you see? They just bought a brand new house. Yeah. Yeah, it was in a really nice neighborhood. I wonder if he's giving 10%. He just won the lottery. Did he really? Yeah. I wonder if he tithes from that. And we begin to take data that's given. Person bought a brand new house. Now the problem is we don't go to said believer who just bought a brand new house and ask them, Hey, congratulations on the new house. Yeah, it was a gift. You know, great uncle passed away. He had, you know, had like 30 houses and he gave me one. Something like that. That'd be awesome. Um, But we don't do that. And so we're sitting there surmising and judging the person's character in the process, ruining a relationship that God could be using for the furtherment of the gospel in that body. And now whoever you're talking with now is maligning their character or thinking evil towards that person as well. And that's how it spreads, right? You tell one person, they're like, oh, yeah, that's good. Hey, you want to have lunch tomorrow? Hey, do you know what I found out yesterday? And that's how it starts. And so James, for me, is saying, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. Thirdly, the third one that I think really can be damaging to the church. Sorry, ap- application. I didn't mean to start transitioning. So child rearing, money, how we spend it. The third one is liberties. Liberties. Someone has the freedom to do something. Uh, they don't see, so there's, there's areas in Scripture that are not clearly said, do this or don't do this. God gives freedom, and part of the reason is He's wanting you to walk in the Spirit. And He's wanting you to follow the leading of the Spirit in your life and not dictate like a person to a three-year-old. Okay, you can go here on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Now go. You know, He's wanting you to cling to Him to get everything you can from him, but yet he gives you freedom to live that out in a world that is full of things that he has made for your enjoyment and your good. And so one thing, and I I bring this up only because I don't think anybody here struggles with this. Um, When I was growing up, pants on women was a huge one. Um, Churches were having problems with, should women wear pants in church? Should they wear pants at all? Or should they always be in a skirt? Um... 
And so these liberties where ladies would uh, look at someone who is wearing pants, well, you know what they say, a divided garment, a divided heart. That person doesn't have a walk with Christ. And, you know, you start to associate spiritual character based upon a liberty or a standard that someone has in their own life. So someone might say, my family, we choose not to watch TV. We, you know, we just don't want to do that. We don't want to go down that road. Uh, we, we really want our kids to be outside more or we want this to happen. So we're not going to watch TV. It's not like we have a huge problem with it, but we're not going to watch it. Fine. But the second you start taking a standard for your family and start judging other families based upon your standard, which was never found in the Bible, when you do that, now you are judging and speaking evil toward that person. I think you need to do this. You need to have no TV ever. And if you ever watch one, you're in sin. That has crossed the line into speaking evil and judging one another. Judging greatly affects our relationships as believers. I think this is the easiest one for us to get a hold of because we readily understand. We know the damage that this does. Some of you are shaking your heads. I know the damage that this does. Uh, just in my own heart and mind, uh, with my two friends, myself and I, I know what this does as I view other people in a sinful state because I'm, I'm judging. And, you know, we judge what they wear, uh, what they do, what they don't do, what they drive, where they go. And we let our minds get into these things when, you know what, we've got, we've got a lot of problems ourselves. This verse is going to come up later, but Matthew 7, Jesus gives the parable. Uh, he's telling us in, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, to not judge. And the standard you judge someone with, you're going to be judged with. How do you like that? That's a little scary for me. And then he goes on to say, hey, how about instead of going up to your brother and saying, you got a little something, something right there on your eye, and you got a log hanging out of your eye, don't you think you might want to take care of the log first and then tell the brother he's got a speck in his eye? So he is affirming your brother has a speck in his eye that needs to come out at some point. But it might be most helpful if you take care of the glaring abnormality coming out of your face first. So we've got a lot of problems that we've got to deal with. And so I think that's why this passage follows verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, cleanse your hands, your hearts. You do this to your inside. And we're not going to have problems judging, speaking evil of. So having seen the command to not judge one another and our relationship uh, to one another being affected because of our judging, the second relationship James brings up is our relationship to the law. You might not know you had a relationship to the law, but you do. And the one in verse 11, let's uh, read again to remember, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. I have two questions that come up to my mind when I read this. What law and what does it mean to judge the law? So if you have those same questions, this might be helpful for you as we answer them. First, this is not the first time James is mentioning the law. He also says in verse, chapter 1, verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, uh, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He also says in chapter 2, verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, so there are two times already where James has mentioned the law. And in both of those times, we were taking the law to be not only the Old Testament law given in commandments, but Jesus' law given on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus states in the Sermon on the Mount that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so instead of saying, don't, saying, don't murder your brother, Jesus says, I say to you, don't even hate your brother or you've committed murder in your heart. So it's not as though there's a new law that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's telling you, yeah, don't do the outward action, but what's more important is what's going on right here in, inside. 
Because in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and out of the abundance of the heart, also actions proceed that are in line with what's going on inside. So even Jesus, as we mentioned uh, in Matthew 7, Jesus even states uh, to not judge one another because on the basis that you judge, you will be judged with. We judge Jesus' law when we judge our brother. This is Jesus' law that he's stating here, to not judge your brother. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. If that's Jesus' law, and it is because Jesus himself states that in Matthew 7, then when we judge our brother, not only are we maligning his character and maligning it in our mind or to the person that we told it to, but we're also judging Jesus' law. That's a little more, that has a little bit more weight to it, I think, than just, well, I spoke evil of him, okay, I'm sorry, and next time I see him, I'll try to think good thoughts about him. No, you, now, your relationship to God's law is broken. It has affected your relationship with the law. This is Jesus' law. It's not just, you know, a whimsical thing you can choose to, if you want to, uh, obey. The law itself is not bad. It is actually God's commands for His people who are to keep it, not out of duty, but because they love God. David, in Psalm 119, if you've ever read Psalm 119, you know that David's stance towards the law, uh, at least as a kid growing up, was odd. I'm reading it going, Do you love the law better than gold and silver? Weird. You know, like, I would totally take gold over the law because the law tells me I can't do things. Gold and silver is like, I can go out and buy stuff with that. David says in Psalm 119.72, The law of your mouth is better to me than, get this, thousands of gold and silver pieces. A couple of verses later in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How would someone say that they love God's law? Because they love God. And if you love me, Jesus says, what? You will keep my commandments. So first, what law are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus' law as given in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' law. So when we judge our brother, we're breaking his law. Second, what does it mean to speak evil of or to judge the law? It means the exact opposite of David's position towards the law. David, he's not speaking evil of or judging the law. He loves the law. It's his meditation all the day. If I'm judging my brother, James says, I prove to judge and speak evil of God's law. I hate God's law. I, I don't want to keep certain parts of it. Okay, yeah, I'll keep most of it, but there's this one that says, don't judge your brother. I really want to break that one right now because of what he just did. Or the email I just got, I'm judging that guy. David, out of love for God, loves his law and desires to obey it. However, when we judge our brother, we show we have great disdain for God's law. This is more serious than just speaking some words that flew off the top of our head because we were in a heated situation. So we have decided, we have become the judge. We're sitting on, what is that called he sits on? It's not a stool or a a bench. We're sitting on a bench and we have a gavel and we're saying, yep, going to keep that one, not that one. I want that one and not that one. And we are judging God's law. Do you see how audacious that is? For us to be on the judge's bench being the judge, saying, okay, I like it, I don't like it, I like it, I don't like that one, going to keep that one. James says earlier in chapter 2, verse 10, James 2.10, 
For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Keep the whole thing, but you fail in one. I want to judge one person just one time. That's all I ever did. You have now not holy. You have broken the whole law because you are not holy and God's standard is perfection. And you have broken it. Believers do not get diplomatic immunity to be able to say, I want to keep certain things or others. In fact, believers should, above all other people, love and desire to keep God's law. Let me read a quote here uh, from one of the commentators that I was studying. James's point here is that if we accept God's mercy through Christ, we place ourselves under Christ's law, which commands mercy. If we then judge others, instead of being merciful towards their faults, we are rejecting that law and so setting up ourselves as judges over the law. This contradicts our proper stance as recipients of grace. We are to be doers under the law. This is the original sin of Adam and Eve. God had given them one standard. You can have whatever you want. Just don't eat of the fruit of this tree. Adam and Eve, we like to set up our own law. I would like to eat that tree. The other ones are fine. I choose for myself what I think is best, and I'm going to eat that tree. Original sin. We do the same thing when we judge our brothers. We say, God says don't do it, but I would really like to do it. And I'm going to set up the law for myself. You know what? You see what they thought? You see what they said about that? And we judge. Because why? I, I want to. I love myself. As James says earlier, we have these, this envy and passions that is warring. We love ourselves. If you judge a brother, you judge the law, which means, James states here in chapter 4, you are not a doer of the word, but only a hearer. And what does he state in chapter 1, 22 through 25? about someone who is only a hearer and not a doer. Sorry, the one who is a hearer and a doer will be blessed in his doing. So if you judge a brother, you're judging the law, which means you're not a doer, only a hearer, and will not be blessed. Genuine faith works. Genuine faith acts upon its works. I say I love God, I have faith in Him, I will not judge my brother. I will show mercy because mercy has been given to me. So some of us say, come on, don't be so harsh. I just said a couple of evil words to someone and they totally deserved it. James is saying in a really kind way, don't speak evil of your brothers. Because if you do, you're judging the law. And if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. The ramifications for that are huge. Because if I judge a brother, and that judging of him is one and the same with me judging God's law, what does, what does that mean? Do you see the next logical step that comes, that comes under that? If I'm judging a brother, and that means I'm judging the law that God gave, that means I'm judging God. That means I'm judging God. That's our third relationship that is affected by our judging, our relationship to God. I said this verse earlier, John 14:15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does it mean if we keep our own law and not God's law? If God says if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I say Fine, there's a couple I don't want to keep. And James says, if you don't keep one, you don't keep the whole thing. So now I'm following my law and not God's law. What does that mean? 
Verse 12 here, I think we know what it means. But verse 12 here is here to force open our eyes to look at this situation from a space shuttle window. Space shuttles, you always see those pictures, you know, big, big earth, you know, it's really cool and clear and everything looks so small. And the space shuttle, what, always looks so big, right? I don't know why. Space shuttle looks big. Earth looks small. Probably because the camera is attached to the space shuttle. I don't know how that works. Um, I know there's not a guy like outside taking pictures. I, I'm not sure. I don't think that happens. So uh, I would love to be an astronaut. Um, but when we take a step back, and James here in verse 12, I think he's pushing us back to say there is only one lawgiver and judge. And then he ends, who are you to judge your neighbor? Step back and look at the whole situation. You want to keep your own law instead of God's law? Let me tell you what that means. First, the first word in verse 12 is one. One is the subject. So he says, one is lawgiver and judge. One is lawgiver and judge. And chances are... There was more than one person who this letter was being read to. So if I'm in that room, I'm looking around going, yeah, I can beat that guy, I can, I can beat that guy. Okay, I might be three or four. And he's saying, one is lawgiver and judge. Oh, and by the way, this guy, he is able to save and to destroy. Yep, not, no, none of us. Now we know that this chasm is infinite. And there is now this great divide between the one who is lawgiver and judge and me who is wanting to be my lawgiver and judge. When James writes and he says, one is lawgiver and judge, it reminds me immediately of Deuteronomy 6.4, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, you're... I I think I get made fun of for, for using words like that, but it is called the great Shema. Let's go there. Deuteronomy 6.4 because it's going to tie in a couple of themes that we're already, we've already talked about. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. So he is saying, your God is one. You shall love him with all your heart and keep these commandments and teach them to every teach them to your kids and your family. So there is an intrinsic link to loving God and keeping His commandments. This God here in James 4, same God as in Deuteronomy 6, 4, lawgiver and judge, there is one. He is able to save and destroy. So James widens the gap here by saying in the next phrase, so who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? The audacity of us in judging. We're humans. And more importantly, we were forgiven everything. As the quote that I read, we were recipients of grace. Our proper stance was recipients of grace. If we judge others instead of being merciful, we're rejecting that law and setting ourselves up as judges when we should be giving mercy. James states earlier in chapter 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. And yet I want to pull out a microscope and I want to put it on my spouse or on one of the elders or on someone else and say, all right, let's see what they're doing in here. And we start examining at such a microscopic level that we're noticing every fall, every flaw, and every word they say. And we're analyzing every motive. 
And James is saying, get your eye out of the microscope and understand that you've been given mercy when you deserved judgment. There is one lawgiver and judge. He's able to save and destroy. Oh, and he saved you. So who do you think you are to be able to judge your neighbor? Get out of the microscope and understand that your response must be mercy. Matthew 18 is a well-known parable of the person who was uh, forgiven much. He had a great debt he would never be able to pay. And he goes before the king and he just pleads his case and he begs, please take it away, I can never pay this, yada, yada, yada. King says, fine, it's gone. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, get out of here. Guy leaves. He then, next thing we see this guy doing, he's got his hands around the neck of some dude who owes him a five spot saying, give me the money or I'm putting you in prison and your family until you can pay it. When the king finds out, he puts that guy back in prison and says, shouldn't you have shown mercy? I gave you mercy. You go out and you have no mercy and only judgment. So for us, as those who have been redeemed, our sins are wiped away as far as east from the west. And yet we want to look at another redeemed person and judge their motives. Judge their character. Speak evil of them. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, a sad state is, though, that we who are... Who are we to judge our neighbor? That's the question James asks. Yet it was us who judged the one true judge, Jesus. We judged him. One who had done absolutely no wrong. And in fact, we murdered him. And in murdering him, he did not respond with retaliation. Instead, his plan from the beginning was that our murdering him would be the way that he would judge our sin. And in judging our sin, it would lead to our life. And so for us, when we judge our brother... We murdered Christ. Christ was killed because of that. And instead, He gives us mercy. And I judge. I don't think that it can get any more audacious than that, to think of us turning around and judging. And yet it gets so easy. Someone maligns our character. Someone says something. Or there's a rude comment that is made to us. And we just fire it off. Like, where did that come from? I don't know where it came from. But we just, we let these things go. We say such harsh words. Have you ever gone to a museum? Uh, Well, let me step back. You remember when you were, uh, when I was a kid? Maybe some of you that's pertinent with some of you. They might not have been around when you were kids, when you were adults. But they had these posters uh, that were 3D posters. When you looked at them from a distance, they looked horrible. Uh, They were all a bunch of different colors. You couldn't tell what it was. But the trick was you had to stand really close, cross your eyes, and then stand on your left foot. And then you'd see like a lion roaring, and you're like, oh, cool. I'm not putting that in my house, though, because it looks ridiculous from a far distance. However, sometimes... If you go into a museum and there's a large mural, you stand close to it, you don't know what it is. And so you have to step back to be able to gaze at the beauty of this picture. And so I think that this passage is making us step back and say, it's not just about me having problems with my brother. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more important than he judged me. He said something about me. I'll never let it go. It's so much more important than you holding on to something somebody did to you. When we step back and we look at God's plan of redemption, all of Scripture, we're just one brushstroke on the picture. And without that brushstroke, there's a glaring abnormality in the picture. Without your wife's brushstroke, there's a glaring abnormality in the picture. And yet you're up at the painting, just, I bet there's something wrong with that. 
And I know she meant to say that. And she, we're all up in, you know, up in her face because we think that she meant when she said, step back, enjoy the beauty of God's law. He's wanting our relationship to the law and to Him to be restored. So we've been discussing how judging affects our relationships. But we've also been teasing at the idea that judging is not really the main thing. It's only a symptom. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Judging is merely a symptom of what's going on in your heart. Luke 6 Verse 45. The very last phrase. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We know that. And sometimes that's all we know of that verse. So sometimes maybe all we know of Luke 6. Luke 6 is a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting that as I was reading it, It's interesting how it is so applicable for what we are speaking on today. So that passage, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of your heart, what's going on in your heart, your relationship to God, somehow has just come out with judging a brother. Verse 37 of chapter 6 is the same thing we read, uh, similar to it back in Matthew 7. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Back down to the end of uh, 38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. But what's the verse right before verse 37? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And then Luke keeps going down 39 and following Verse 41, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. And then down in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why are you ascribing to me as submitting to me as Lord and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, one who's a hearer and a doer, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. If we love God, Luke and James are correlating, and also Deuteronomy, if we love God, we will do His commands. We will be doers of the Word. And not judges. James even goes on and adds things like, We will seek heavenly wisdom. We will control our tongues. We will not show favoritism. We will be repenting. But if we don't, look at the strong warning given in, in, a, in a story. The ruin of that house was great. I judge you and your motives because ultimately I love myself and I want to be exalted over you. It has nothing to do, sadly, with God. I love myself and I choose to love myself and want my way instead of God's way. I take his law and I judge it and I say, nope, not for me. In this circumstance, not not for me. And therefore, my relationship to the one true lawgiver and judge is broken. How do we remedy the situation? Come back next week. Just kidding. Chad actually gave us the remedy last week. 
verse, verses 7 through 10. Sorry, back up to 6. But he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God, and he will exalt you. He said earlier that I love myself, I want to be exalted, so I judge you to put you down, to destroy your character to somebody else, to raise me up. And God's saying opposite, humble yourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you. So the answer, submit to God, draw near to God, humble yourselves before him. The remedy is not us. The remedy is the cross. The remedy actually for judging or any other sin, the remedy is done. Christ died and was raised for you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And only by the power that raised Christ from the dead, who, by the way, that power resides in you and the Spirit, only by that power that raised Christ from the dead can you love God and not judge. So doesn't it seem like some, a lot of times so far in James, we've been coming to the end and it's like, love God, pursue Him, seek mercy. We think that's so simple. I, I need some meat in this. Why is it that it seems like that's the application? Because we are wanting, as we study, we are looking at James to learn how to live as redeemed people. And as redeemed people, it only seems natural that all our devotion and gratitude be shown to the one who redeemed us. If we were redeemed and it was like, all right, go ahead and if you can do these 15 things perfectly, we're good to go and let's do it. He's like, I redeemed you because I want you to be mine. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't judge your brother. Because it is judging the law, which more importantly is breaking our relationship to the lawgiver and judge himself. So let me give a few closing statements that maybe we can tease out in small group uh, with your family, your spouse, other loved ones, other believers. Um, how maybe to apply this? These are statements, not questions, which is unusual. Normally we ask questions, but uh, evaluate, think about maybe these statements. Um, it is a contradiction of the gospel to judge our brothers. It is a contradiction of the gospel to judge our brothers. We disobey the law of God when we speak evil of those who judge us. We didn't talk about this very much. What do we do when people judge us? How do we respond to that? We disobey the law of God. When we speak evil, we retaliate to the one who judges us. Third, when you find yourself judging one another, take time alone asking God for an x-ray of your heart. Out of the, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So when you find yourself judging another, and it, you will judge one another, take time alone asking God to show you what is at the root of this and for a love for Him. Fourth, if you have a problem with another believer, talk to them, not about them. Talk to them, not about them. Sanctified gossip is an oxymoron. And sanctified gossip, well, let's just talk about this because we need to pray for him, is an oxymoron. It is judging the law, which is usurping God as our judge, and that is anti-gospel. Strong language. That's, think about that. Let me know if I'm wrong on that. Sanctified gossip, an oxymoron. An infant with a mastermind plan to rule his family, control the finances, and tell everyone what to do 
is nothing compared to the audacious nature of us usurping the one true lawgiver and judge. Can you imagine? An infant. Bill Cosby has a funny thing about his daughter coming out and she comes out and is like, all right, Dad, where's your keys? I'm going to go get a job. and You do this, this, and and think of that. And we're like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, so is us judging our brother because it usurps the lawgiver and judge. Lastly, if you can judge one another or speak evil of one another and it not bother you, and you see no desire to submit to God and humble yourself in repentance, I would be very afraid. James says there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. The example in Luke of the house built with no foundation, the ruin was very great. So, brothers and sisters, in relationship with other believers... Let us pray that God would give us a love for Him and remember mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray and ask that now.